0: Hello, and welcome to the Lead On Podcast. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my pleasure to talk with you each week about issues related to leadership, particularly Christian leadership, and how we can do a better job in the assignments that God has given us. Today, I wanna talk about a troubling issue for many leaders. I wanna talk about how to handle your anger. Anger can be a uh, besetting, sinful problem for leaders. Uh, We operate under stress, We have challenging assignments. We sometimes work with difficult people. We are uh, often, uh, in many cases, uh, undercompensated, which puts extra stress on family life and uh, financial planning for uh, retirement and uh, children's college and all that kind of thing. And so, because of all of these external circumstances, uh, leaders can feel rising anger and can express that anger in ways that are often, or sometimes at least, destructive and often unhelpful. So today, I want to talk about how to handle your anger, particularly looking at it from a leadership perspective and in the context of how to handle your anger as a leader. Now, I want to do that by asking and answering uh, some questions that will help us get to the root of the subject. The first question is, where does anger come from? A number of years ago, I came across a little book called Coping With Your Anger. It's out of print, it's a long time gone, but uh, the book was helpful on a couple of different levels. First of all, it helped me understand the value of reading a, a wide range of literature. While this book was a Christian book, it certainly uh, left me uh, disappointed in some of the strategies that it outlined for handling anger and for dealing with anger. However, on the other hand, it gave me an insight, which has lasted me now for a couple of decades, on where anger comes from. The book was very helpful at that point, And that's sort of a side note I would offer in the podcast. And that is, uh, when, you, when you read widely, don't expect to agree with everything you read in every book. And don't expect every part of every book to be equally helpful. Sometimes just one section of a book... Uh, will provide uh, a key insight that you need, and maybe other writers will write more effectively about other aspects of that problem. But uh, don't be afraid to read widely and to take in ideas from a lot of different sources and, of course, evaluate them critically but use them effectively. So I read this book, and it helped me answer the question, where does anger come from? And the answer is, anger comes from threat or perceived threat. Now, that was an explosive insight for me. Anger comes from threat or from perceived threat. Now, when you first think about it, you may think, well, I don't really feel all that threatened by a lot of things in my life, but I still seem to have a lot of anger. Well, bore down into the idea of threat just a bit, and I think you'll see where this insight is so helpful. Uh, First of all, Uh, Anger comes from threat in at least three areas, when we feel threats to our physical self, our social self, or our extended self. Now let me talk about what those mean. Um, For example, you're driving down the freeway, and a car swerves into your lane. And you yell out a cuss word, and you shake your fist, or you make an obscene gesture. You react in anger to a person who swerved in front of you. Now, really, why did that make you angry? You don't know the person the person likely didn't intend to do what they did they certainly didn't single you out so why the angry response well it's because you perceive that car swerving into your lane as a threat to your physical self Uh, it could wreck into you cause you to be in an accident cause you to be severely injured cause you to lose work, lose family opportunities, lose travel time for vacation and other activities. It could severely cramp your lifestyle and your freedom of choice, etc. So the point is, that swerving car threatened you in ways that you may not have really thought through, and yet in the moment, because you felt the threat, you reacted with anger. The same thing happens when you're walking down a street and a person approaches you, uh, maybe they look sketchy for some reason to you, whatever that means in your, in your context. And as they veer toward you, you find your heart racing a little bit, your, your uh, respiration going up. You, you find yourself sort of edging away from where they're walking. Why are you doing all those things? Because you feel, in that moment, a sense of threat to your physical self. You think they might be able to harm you. So we feel threatened, to, we feel threats to our physical selves and we react with anger. But as we get more toward the leadership aspect of this, the second way we're threatened is we're threatened by threats to our social self. Now, what does this mean? Well, here's several examples. First, let's say your spouse disrespects you or devalues you for what you do. Um, Let's say, for example, that you're at work and you're publicly embarrassed by your boss. Now, these threats from your spouse or your boss, uh, they haven't come after you physically. They... They haven't done anything to actually harm you in terms of your your well-being, your physical well-being, but what have they done? Well, they've threatened your social self. They've threatened your relational self. They've threatened the relationships that matter to you, your spouse disrespecting or devaluing you for what you do, your boss singling you out in public or embarrassing you in public, uh, making you... Uh, diminishing you in front of your coworkers, These kinds of things attack who we are and who we extend ourselves to be in the relationships that are significant around us. Now one way this happens in leadership for example is let's say that you have a trusted employee and that employee comes in and resigns to leave for another opportunity at a different company or different organization or even different church. You may have that happen to you and think well well, that's good for the employee, but then why am I feeling angry about it? Well, you're angry because that threatens you and who you are and the relationships that you've established. It threatened, You may be angry that your church didn't have enough money to pay a more reasonable salary to retain such a quality employee, or you may be angry that the employee had, um, had, a, had, had desires or dreams or interests to ful- fulfill their career or further their career that you couldn't solve in your present context. And so you get angry because these relational aspects of your leadership are threatened. And when, when a person leaves your organization for another organization on those kinds of terms, uh, that's where anger can come from. And then another kind of uh, threat comes to what we call our extended self. Uh, there are lots of examples of this, but one of my favorites is what happens when parents get angry at their children's sporting events. Now, I coached many youth sports teams, and as many of you know, I umpired uh, amateur baseball for 25 years. And so uh, I've seen all kinds of situations like this, but quite frankly, uh, they're, they're, they're rare. Most people are pretty good uh, in supporting their children in sports, but you do run across those parents who get caught up in the extension of themselves and their children as they participate in athletics. And so when the child fails, the parent gets angry. When the umpire makes a questionable call, the parent gets angry. When the coach doesn't handle their child just like they think it should have been done, they get angry. And so why are they angry? Because their extended self, this child they've produced, they care about, they love, and that they project themselves into has been in some way in their mind wronged, and so they get angry. Um, Now, this relates in leadership because... When you find your organization being attacked or your church being attacked, you, ri- you, you, you feel anger rising up inside you. Uh, for example, when someone blogs against the seminary or attacks us on social media, or someone says something about one of our faculty members that's just simply not true, or uh, accuses us of, of uh, taking a position that we've really not taken. When any of these things happen, uh, I find myself getting angry about them. Uh, why? Uh, there's really no personal threat to me. They, they haven't come after me physically or come after me in a way to harm me. There's no threat to my social self. My friends here at the seminary still like me and love me, and so does my family. But my extended self, the projection of who I am into my organization does feel threatened. You know, when you're the pastor or the president, the youth minister, the choir leader, uh, when you're the person who's in charge of something and that something is threatened, Uh, you feel threatened because you've extended yourself into that organizational expression of ministry, and you find yourself identifying with it, personifying with it. And so when it's attacked in some way, you feel attacked. Now, as I said, this insight helped me to understand so much about where anger comes from. Anger comes from threat or perceived threat. Now, the the second part of that definition is also important. It doesn't have to be a legitimate threat. If you feel that it's a threat, if you perceive it to be a threat, if in some way you're convinced it's a threat, then guess what? It's a threat. And so anger comes when our physical, social, or extended selves are threatened or we perceive they're threatened. We can feel that anger rising up within us. Now, that leads me to the second question. Is anger always wrong? And the answer to that, surprisingly, is no. Anger is not always wrong. There are some situations in life that call for uh, a forceful expression of opposition or resistance or change, which can involve anger. Uh, And the reason I can conclusively say that is because I'm looking at the example of Jesus. For example, in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, Jesus got angry with what was happening in the temple. into a market there's no question that jesus was angry in this moment and responded in such a way to bring all to bring a violent assault on those who were violating the temple then another instance with jesus was once when he confronted the pharisees in mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 the bible says another time jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there some of them were looking for a reason to accuse jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the sabbath Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everything. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger. Now let me say that again. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at at their stubborn hearts said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And so Jesus confronting religious leaders of his time, expressed anger to them for their insensitivity toward this crippled man. And when Jesus healed him, he did so in the context of responding to these Pharisees in anger. And then another instance, Mark 10, verses 13 to 14, uh, Jesus expressed anger with his disciples. The Bible says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Again, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So we see on at least three different occasions in the temple with the Pharisees, with his disciples in relationship to their uh, rebuking people who brought children to Jesus, that Jesus responds with anger actions, with uh, with angry actions, angry words, and with indignation prompting uh, a, an angry response or a, a a sharp response back to his disciples. Now you're probably thinking, well yeah, I know Jesus got angry and Jesus never sinned and so it's possible to be angry and not sin but I'm not Jesus and so does the same principle apply to me well absolutely it does because in Ephesians 4 verses 26 and 27 Paul wrote these instructions he said in your anger do not sin do not let the Sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold now that's an interesting instruction in your anger do not sin he did not write in your anger don't be angry He said, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, there's something about anger that can be good and something about anger that can be bad. The challenge we have is to hold anger and to use or express anger without allowing it to become sinful. Now, what are some clues about how we can do this? Well, there's actually a couple of them in this text. The first one is the phrase that says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. I think that is an analogy or a metaphor that's communicating to us, don't hold on to anger. <clears throat> In other words, when you feel a flash of anger, that's normal. It's, it's acceptable. In fact, it may even be a positive motivation to move you toward healthy action. But anger becomes sinful not when it's first felt, but when it's, when it's held on to, when it's nurtured, when it's facilitated, when it's strengthened, when it's encouraged. It's like taking a a small fire and continuing to feed it fuel until it grows into a conflagration that can take down a forest. Jesus said, don't hold on to your anger. I know that there are moments, for example, in in my seminary leadership when I do feel flashes of anger. I become angry with an employee or angry with a faculty member, angry with a critic. Um, I become angry about something that's been wasted in terms of our finances or misspent in something on something that really didn't uh, need to be done or profit us in any particular way. Uh, I, I feel anger sort of rising up within me, and in that moment, I have a choice to make. Do I hold on to that anger? Do I turn it into a resentment? Do I let it fester and poison my continuing relationship to the people involved or my continued uh, confidence or lack of it in the people who are making decisions related to things like finances or programming? Do I hold on to my anger and nurture it in a destructive way or do I acknowledge that I'm angry, take a giant step back, make a choice to respond motivated by my anger in a more healthy way and then uh, to release it? One of the uh, things that leaders must develop is the discipline of letting go of anger, angry situations, and of, and of behaviors by persons who anger them. Uh, one of the things I've worked hard at learning to do is to actually forget about things that have happened to me in the past. So that when someone brings up to me a past offense or a past uh, hurtful situation or a past mistake, I sometimes find myself saying I I honestly don't remember that, and I really don't. Now, quite frankly, sometimes I do remember because I'm not perfect at this yet, but I've really worked hard at trying to learn to forget things that happened in my past that were harmful or difficult or anger-inducing. Don't hold on to anger. Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't let it last more than one day. Don't let it be a continued part of who you are or about your lifestyle or about your leadership style. And then a second uh, clue to how you can have anger but not sin is in the last phrase in the same passage. It says, and do not give the devil a foothold, or do not give the devil an opportunity. I think this means don't let your anger cause you to do something destructive that has long-term consequences that give the devil an opportunity for continued destruction in your relationship or in your organization. Sometimes when I feel angry, I want to lash out. Uh, I want to send a really hot email or I want to uh, p- post something on Twitter or put something on my blog. Uh, I might even want to address something here in the podcast. I, I feel angry and I want to lash out. I want to do something to get even in the moment. What I've learned is that in almost every case, I could say every case but I'll, I'll, I'll temper it with that almost. In almost every case when I lash out in anger or I respond quickly in anger it always has a long-term detrimental negative impact that lasts far longer than the original incident which promoted or or prompted my anger. Uh, Those emails, uh, they don't go away. Those harsh words, they stay in people's minds for a long time. Uh, Those blogs, they stay on the the internet and can be continually accessed. When you do something in anger uh, to lash out or to respond or to some way I'll let your anger overwhelm your judgment, it always produces a foothold or an opportunity for the devil to have long-term negative impact in your relationships and in your organization. So the challenge is to, have, to, to feel anger, no question about that, but then to feel it in such a way that you don't sin. And you can do that by releasing anger, not holding on to it, don't nurture it, don't feed it, don't let it fester. Move on from it. And second, by not responding or reacting to anger quickly or to anger-inducing situations quickly, and in doing so, uh, make the problem even worse. Learn to take a step back from your anger. Uh, release it. Moderate it. Let it motivate you, but only let it do so to healthy responses, to healthy, proactive uh, uh, answers or, or healthy, proactive uh, 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 responses that really do produce a a positive change that comes out of being angry. So, Where does anger come from? It comes from threat or perceived threat. And is anger always wrong? No, it's not. It can be a force that rises up within us in the context of a threat or a perceived threat that motivates us to healthy action just like Jesus. But in order for that to happen, we have to be careful that we don't hold on to anger and that we don't give anger a foothold by making bad decisions based on angry responses that create an opportunity for even more destruction to come as a result of our anger. Well, here's another question. Can anger be controlled? And the answer is yes, but the Proverbs says it's as hard as capturing a city. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes the city. Learning to manage your anger, to have control of it, to express it appropriately is very difficult. It's as difficult as conquering a city. In fact, it may be even more difficult than that. Learning to demonstrate that kind of self-control is a challenge and an ongoing challenge for most of us. So what then, finally, are some steps to help you control or manage your anger? Well, let me give you two and some action items that are action steps you can take with each one of these. The first answer to the question, what are some steps to help you control your anger is, number one, lower your threat threshold. In other words, reduce what threatens you. Now, how can you do that? Well, several ways. First, be willing to diagnose and admit that you are sometimes threatened. Now, this can be hard because we want to make (coughs) anger somebody else's problem. Uh, blame it on someone else's circumstances, uh, attribute it to someone else's actions. But honestly, anger is a result of how we feel, threat or perceived threat. And that is a significant admission for many people who want to be self-sufficient and strong in every way and deflect blame for every circumstance. But anger is your problem to deal with. So admit, I'm angry because I feel threatened and, and then diagnose the threat. Why am I threatened here? What aspect of my extended self is being threatened? Uh, what aspect of my social self is being threatened? What aspect of my physical self is being threatened? Why does this threaten me? And if if I can identify the threat and honestly admit that, I, that I'm feeling it, then I've taken a huge step toward uh, solving this problem of lowering my threat threshold. Well, first you diagnose and admit. And then second, develop greater security in Jesus Christ. Now this is perhaps the most significant insight that God has helped me develop to help me deal with my anger and that is that threat is real are perceived but in either case it's resolved by raising my security level so that fewer things threaten me now there's a doctrine that Baptists particularly love called the security of the believer now, we sort of pervert that doctrine by saying, once saved, always saved, meaning that it only has to do with our eternal security in Jesus Christ. But again, a number of years ago, a pastor made a statement in a message which has stuck with me all these years. He said, uh, the security of the believer is for both now and eternity. And then he said, you are as secure in Jesus Christ today as you will ever be for eternity now that was an explosive thought for me because frankly I had always thought of the doctrine of the security of the believer meaning that someday I would die and I would be secured forever in heaven with Jesus and that is true but now for the first time I realized that my security in Jesus Christ was equal now to what it will someday be in heaven I am already experiencing the security of the believer, and I will experience it in a different way upon my death, but I'm already experiencing it right now. Once you come to understand that great reality that you are absolutely secure in Jesus Christ, and that nothing can really threaten you, Romans 8 says this so clearly. What can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? And there's a long litany of listed options there, and the answer is, of course, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When you find yourself secured in the Lord Jesus Christ, you find yourself free from feeling threatened by real or perceived threats. Now, they still come at you because we live in a sinful world and you still have a taint of sin about you. Those threats are still... uh, uh real and still perceived and still experienced I get that but when they come at you rather than reacting or even responding to them you can say I understand where the threat's coming from but I submit, I I make that threat submit to the security I have in Jesus Christ and so as a leader I'm resting in him I'm trusting in him, I'm confident in him, I'm secure in him. Nothing can really harm me. Nothing can really get to me. No one can really do anything to me that will be damaging or difficult or destroying to me because I'm ultimately secured in Jesus Christ. And then, diagnose and admit your threat, Develop security in Jesus Christ and let that lead you to the next step which is to change your values or to change what you value so that you feel threatened by fewer things. When I put too much emphasis, for example, on material possessions, um, I find myself reacting with anger when anyone threatens them. But I'm reminded that I'm not really about material possessions, and I value people more than possessions, and I have to keep that in view. And when I do keep that in view, my threat level goes down, and I feel much less anger. (laughs) A number of years ago, I was having a really difficult time getting grass to grow in our front yard. I had tried about everything I could think of, and finally, I tore everything out, did a significant amount of, of, uh, of cleanup and reseeding and watering, and was trying my best to get grass to grow. I looked out there one day, And a little five-year-old girl that lived in our neighborhood was frolicking around in my muddy, dirty uh, front yard where I was trying to grow this sparse grass. I went out the door and yelled at her, barked her name and said, get off my my lawn, I'm trying to grow grass here. And about the time those words came out of my mouth, my wife came out the door behind me. The little girl started crying and took off up the street. My wife uh, was standing there. I turned around and she said, I thought we were raising children around here, not grass. Wow, that cut me to the core because I realized that this ridiculous anger that I just expressed was because of a threat that I perceived to my lawn, or uh, which I had invested both time and money in, a piece of my extended self, and also part of my extended self of wanting to look good in my neighborhood and thinking about what people would think about me when they saw my yard continuing to look as bad as it did. All that was caught up in my anger expressed toward this little girl. And my wife nailed me for it. She said, look... Uh, I thought we were about people, not grass. I had to go up the street and apologize that day because I realized that I let my anger get the best of me because my values were skewed. I let something be threatening that had no business threatening me if I just kept my values in focus. So lower your threat threshold. Do that by diagnosing and admitting when you feel threatened, developing greater security in Jesus Christ, and letting your relationship with Jesus Christ and the values he teaches redefine what you value, and so you feel less threatened because what you value now is really more what he values. And then the the second step to to, uh, keeping anger from controlling you in a negative sense is let your anger motivate you to effective action on real problems. As your anger reveals your insecurities and your misplaced priorities and your skewed values, it can be something that we think of only in the negative. But also, when when you do feel anger, sometimes that's motivating you to take real action. You know, sometimes you are really being threatened. Your organization's being threatened, your family's being threatened. Sometimes your extended self or your social self are being threatened in ways that really are harmful to you or to the leadership role that you've been given. And in those times, you have to respond. And you have to let your anger motivate you to respond. But you have to do it in a way that's positive and healthy and makes a real difference in the problem you're trying to resolve, not just allows you to blow up or vent your anger on other people or situations. And so let your anger motivate you to effective action, to doing something that is proactively significant and that really matters to getting a problem solved. That means here, for example, at the seminary that when a problem comes up, rather than just venting in a meeting or yelling at people or exploding in anger, I have to say something like this, all right, let's work the problem. Now we're all upset about this, but let's channel that, let's focus that, let's work the problem. And we start coming up with solutions and proactive ideas and things we can do to really address what needs to be dealt with rather than just venting or exploding in the moment. We might feel better if we did that, but it would only last a few seconds because the damage we would do would only make more problems for us in the future. Leaders struggle with anger. That, that's not news. We can deal with it more effectively when we learn to answer these simple questions in the ways I've described today. And I hope that this, po- this podcast will help you, uh, as you grapple with your anger, understand how to manage it and deal with it. These principles I've talked about today apply relationally. They apply, apply corporately. Uh, they apply in your personal life. And they certainly apply in your leadership work. So thank you for listening today. God bless you. And manage your anger more effectively by putting these principles into practice.